Hi folks, this is Abel James and welcome to the Fat Burning Man Show where we talk about real food and real results. Today's very special guest is JJ Virgin and she's the best-selling author of The Virgin Diet. And we're going to be talking about foods that cause you metabolic damage, fat storage, muscle loss, and all sorts of other problems and they might not be the foods that you expect, so stay tuned. Before we get to that though, I wanted to catch you up on a few very exciting things that we have going on. In the past few months, we've really been building a lot of momentum behind like natural health as well as the more science-backed biohacking type stuff. So just in the past couple of months, I've been interviewed uh, completely unsolicited just from listening to this podcast or following the blog from people from Men's Health, Popular Science, Wired Magazine, and I'm going to be doing a series of talks for Creative Live coming up here in August. Also have a lot of other talks and events coming up. So please stay tuned to my newsletter. The best way to find that is go to fatburningman.com, put in your best email address, and uh, you also get a a free ebook that I'll send your way after you sign up. So it's just fatburningman.com and enter your best email. So let's just go right on to the show with JJ. It's, It's a really fun one. I had the pleasure of meeting her at the Consumer Health Summit a few months back, and we hit it off over lunch talking about food we could have talked all day. So in in this particular show, we talk about why extended cardio sessions can actually make you flabby and what you should do instead, the seven foods you should consider cutting from your diet, the secret to looking like 30 for the rest of your life, and tons more. All right, let's go hang out with JJ. Folks, JJ Virgin is a New York Times bestselling author of The Virgin Diet, a fitness and nutrition expert, speaker, and has helped thousands of people lose weight by addressing food allergies, food sensitivities, and other food intolerances. How's it going, JJ? Awesome. And you? That's what I like to hear. It's, it's <laughs> awesome here as well. Way too it's, hot it's in Austin right now, but life is good. Honey, I'm in Palm Springs, so yeah. just, just <laughs> so <you> know exactly. <laughs> so yeah. I wanted to start with kind of an unconventional question, if I may. Um, We met a few weeks back at the Consumer Health Summit, which was awesome. We had a great conversation over lunch. But one of the things that that struck me is when you talked about knowing Mark Sisson, who I just hung out with actually last weekend, uh, which was a great time. And you said you've known him for something like 25 years. (laughs) Doing that math, you look like you're 30. How oh, how yeah. is that possible? It is, <laughs> like, I'm, it is really funny. We were sitting out at coffee the other day and we're like, oh my gosh, what happened here? Like he's 60 and I'm 50 and it's just, but you still kind of feel like you're, you know, yeah, back in, I, not that I wish mentally I could be where I am right now and kind of still have some of the physicality, although I'm in better shape now than I was in my 20s. Really? Yes, I am. Yeah, because I've learned so much science. And when it all comes down to it, uh, there's a couple of things with that that are very cool. And and so anyone who's aging, which is everybody, (laughs) should be very excited about this because time actually is the great equalizer. And so for those of us who take great care of ourselves, you know, time is our friend, not our enemy. Because you look around you and go, oh my gosh, like I always kind of play the, I think a lot of women play that, you know, is she fatter than me game? I don't play that game. I play that, is she older or younger than me game? <laughs> and I'm always looking at someone going, that person's actually older than me, but just just the way they carry themselves, the way they dress, probably they eat tons of sugar and don't get enough sleep, you know, yeah. <laughs> and they look way older. So it's it's really exciting. I think we are in the most exciting time now in science with what we're learning about aging that 
you know, so much of this is just a decision and there's such a big payoff when you take great care of yourself. Yeah. That's a really good point too, because like, it seems like people can get away with, with murder in their teens and even in their twenties to some degree. And, you know, they have great genetics or whatever, but after that, you start to see the people who might've looked great in high school or college, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're pudgy because they've been working on wall street for 10 years. Yeah, It's fair then. Cause I still remember (laughs) being in high school and just battling acne, battling all these things. And this one gal was this skinny, perfect skin and she smoked and just lived on sugar. And I go, this is so unfair. I'm like doing everything right. You know, (laughs) in this gal, you know, it's just seeing her doing this stuff and looks way better than me. So, (laughs) you know, it is time makes things fair. (laughs) So what are are some of your secrets to that in terms of uh, not just living long, but living well? Which is what it's really the point, right? I mean, I'd rather go out tomorrow having lived really well than like last another 20 years living a sucky existence. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right? And I think that's what we start to think more and more about. Like I want to be, you know, paddle boarding when I'm 90. Yeah. You know? So I think the number one, if I had to pick one thing that is the most important thing that you can possibly do for your health, it's your sleep. Mm -hmm. Sleep is the biggest. And that's one where people get so annoyed with me I like yeah. I like some kind of meanie like I picked that one you know <laughs> so if, believe me if it was if it was up to me the best things you could do for your health would be to stay up late drink a lot of wine yeah. have coffee and live on dark chocolate but yeah. it's not up to me you know <laughs> so you know but sleep I'd say probably is the one and I was fortunate early on I was working with this gal who's an endocrinologist and we were doing a project Diana Schwartzbein and I'd go stay at her house and she would sleep her butt off. And I'd be like, get up, let's go, let's go. You know, because I was used to being the short sleeper to get so many things done. Sure. And finally, she just like was just hit me over the head with sleep. And I became a big sleeper. And I think sleep is one of the biggest things. It it would probably go in order of sleep attitude. Because, you know, you really get what you expect. Yeah. You, you so do. So we just have to continue to raise our expectations, not just our expectations, but also the floor, the minimal you'll accept, right? Yeah. You know, if you expect to have great health and great relationships and great fun, you will. If you, if you expect things are going to be crappy, they'll be crappy. So yeah. that's all the way down to your languaging. I had this guy dated for a while and he battled his weight and I started to listen to him and then I started to hear his little little boy do the same thing. And they would say, I'm starving out of my mind. Like, no wonder you're hungry. Yeah. Like, hear what you're saying. Right. Starving out of my mind wouldn't even be in my vernacular. That's true. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you got to watch that wording. I'll call up one of my other friends and I go, how are you doing today? He goes, oh, you know, okay. Not so bad. I go, not so bad. Like, not so bad. How yeah. about, like, I'm doing great. It's a big difference between not so bad and I'm doing great. You're probably in the same, you know, it's probably no different in where you're at, but think of the difference that tells your physiology. So sleep, attitude, and then what you put on your fork, man. (laughs) Right? That's that's a really good point, though, about setting expectations, not just for yourself, but for someone else. It's like, uh, even if you use that same example of what you put on your fork with someone who's starving out of their mind, if they're starving out of their mind, they're going to eat a huge dinner. They're going to be expected to, and like everyone else will be probably encouraging them to do so because they were starving beforehand. Right. But right. if they're just like, you know what, I've had a great day. I had a, I had a big lunch and I'm, I'm feeling satisfied. And then you go to dinner. Like similarly, people will kind of raise their eyebrows if you have a huge dinner. 
right? It's it's yeah. more likely that you you set your expectations. You're just kind of going to go and eat until you're satisfied and have a good time. But that's that's a really good point. Even if you say like if we started this interview and, and you asked me how my day was going, I'm just like, ugh, it's been crap. Then you're going to treat me differently <laughs> than yeah. if I'm just like, life is grand. Everything's awesome. No, I'm just going to get off the interview fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't you? I've got such – I was – early on I had this amazing business mentor and she made me wear this little rubber band around it. Anytime I said anything negative or judgmental or critical, she made me snap myself. Yeah. I've heard of <laughs> it's that. It's like yeah. I blister or something. Yeah, it's really effective because – we're so surrounded by that stuff mm-hmm. and we're lucky. Like let's say at the consumer health summit, you were not hearing negative people. Life is bow, life sucks. You just don't, you know, I right. try to keep myself away from those people, but the minute you walk out into the world, they're there. Yeah, you they're, know? Everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere. So I have to watch it. Cause I think it's, it's very natural for people to kind of go into that. Oh yeah. You know how say, yeah, Gosh, I'm so tired, and, and it's like, ugh, you know, <laughs> it's exhausting. It. Yes, yeah, just listening to that. So I did have some time to spend with your book, which I I loved because you talk about food intolerances, and that's something that's like totally not sexy. Most people like sleep, right? They don't talk about it. They, they <laughs> yeah. want to say that you know, I I know what I'm intolerant of, or sensitive to, or allergic to. I have that covered. Most people don't. So and can they you talk don't. a little bit? They don't. Yeah. So, and by the way, you don't. Because if I see that one more time on my Facebook page, well, I know <laughs> I'm fine with eggs. You're not. Yeah. You know, you just don't want to give them up. Right. It's really interesting. I, I took some poetic license in food intolerance because when I look at this, there's there's outright food allergies. Like, you know, you're on the plane, then they go, don't open the peanuts. Yeah. Someone will. So there's those <laughs> outright food allergies. Those are rare. Then there's food sensitivities that happen due to a phenomenon called leaky gut, where your gut wall, the tight junctions in your small intestine loosen up due to fructose, due to stress, due to gluten. I mean, there's so many things that actually can loosen these up. That's one of the reasons this is so common. In Mm -hmm. testing, I was doing testing in doctor's offices, and 70% of the people that I tested had some type of food sensitivity, the majority of them to dairy and eggs. And then there's the genetic ones, which if you look at genetically, how many people are sensitive to lactose, it's crazy, especially when you look at a lot of the supplement companies put lactose in their vitamin D, it doesn't have to be in the label. And then, you know, we say there's maybe one in 133 with celiac, although I think that's one of the most mis- underdiagnosed diseases out there, but maybe 30 to 40% are genetically intolerant. And then there's hormonal issues, like you would have to say sugar. And if you don't have it, you will have it if you eat enough of it. It's just a matter of time, unless you're Michael Phelps, you know, it's like, (laughs) unless you're really, and and by the way, and I tell people, and you're not, okay, so, you know, let's (laughs) get that that out on the table. So when you really look at it, people have this idea that they know, but what they don't realize is that food intolerance shows up as all these things that we think are just normal for us. That headache in the afternoon, oh, you know, I get that a couple times a week. It's totally normal for me. The gas and bloating, the joint pain, the fatigue, all these things to go to the drugstore and they're the things that we buy the most of. And you go to the doctor and he goes, eh, you're just getting older. Yeah. Oh, that's just, you're just under stress. Right? And then all of a sudden, when you do pull these things, and people don't want to pull them because the foods that hurt you you crave them. In fact, part of the process of becoming intolerant to the food is you start to crave the very foods that are hurting you. So when you start to look at pulling them out, you freak. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. like, no, you know, and then I'll, and, and you start to bargain because people <laughs> say to me, all right, 
so there's seven foods. Okay, I'll pull out six. Yeah. And I go, but it's not drop six foods, lose six pounds, just six days. It's seven yeah. foods because whatever food it is you're saying you don't want to pull out, that is your kryptonite. There's a reason for it. I'd rather you just pull that food out and not the other ones. Yeah. And what's so great is first off, in within a week you see so much, it's amazing. But you know, I did I, I love testing. I'm a testing geek. However, there's no single test that looks at this broad brush of food intolerance. Yeah. You would have to do like all this crazy stuff, and you still it wouldn't be complete because the very best test is your body's own chemistry lab. You know, I like to say our body isn't this bank account, this whole stupid model for how you're supposed to lose weight by eating less and exercising more that's just yeah. retarded, can I say? <laughs> Your body's a chemistry lab. And yeah. what if it wasn't about calories, but it was about food being information and those calories creating specific responses in your body that can either say, hey, wipe you out, mm -hmm. crash and burn, store fat, get inflamed, create insulin and cortisol and leptin resistance, all this stuff. And if you pulled it out, even in a matter of days, you're like, I cannot believe how I feel. I yeah. cannot yeah. believe how I feel. And at that point, you're empowered. It's very different than a diet because all of a sudden you're going, oh. I'm now connecting the dots between what I'm eating and how I'm feeling because after three weeks of letting everything cool off and getting this stuff out of your system and you reach, start to rechallenge your body when you eat something has an overblown reaction to it. Yeah. Plus, you're way more aware because you're watching for it and you go, holy moly, I did not know when I ate gluten, my fingers felt like this. I didn't yeah. know that when I ate eggs, I'd double over with stomach cramps. I did, who knew? You know, because... Yeah. Before that, you just had this mild little thing that you accepted as normal. And, you know, the biggest thing I, I see out there is people walk around every day accepting so little for themselves, yeah. you know, expecting so little for themselves. They, their idea of what's normal, they have no idea what feeling phenomenal feels like. They just don't. So, you know, we're, we're trained to believe that, you know, it's normal to have to use Metamucil, Excedrin, <laughs> You know, That's so true. And it's it's and it's not. It's not. I remember one of my first nutrition mentors goes, "It is not normal to get sick. If you even get a cold once a year, there's something going on." I go, "Wow, really? What a reframe!" Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Like, because yeah. most people, every flu season, they expect to get a shot or get sick or both. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know? It's like you know, I love the. Don't get me started on the flu shot, but. <laughs> You know, it's amazing. So what if you reframed being sick as a sign something was wrong with your body? Your right. immune system's not just enough. You should never get sick. What a different philosophy, right? Yeah. it's Well, then that's information that can be actionable. It's like if yeah. I get sick, I'm doing something wrong. What is that thing? How can I diagnose yeah. that and how can I fix it? You know, it's interesting. Every year I used to get sick in – usually it was March. And I mean I would go down. It was always – some point between February and March, and I kind of went, what the heck is it? Why is it every year February, March, I am just not like I get a little sick. Yeah. I'm three weeks down, just pummeled. And I finally went, oh, well, I'm a weight loss expert. And January, yep. I killed myself, <laughs> right? And I wouldn't get enough sleep, and I'd run around like an insano and it would flow into February. And whenever that started to kind of get come down a bit, I'd go and get sick. Yeah. And I'm like, this is stupid. Stop it. You know, and so I stopped doing that. I can, became completely aware of how hard I was working, what I was doing, and I stopped. Mm -hmm. And um, that was it. No more getting sick. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. So what are some of the things personally that don't work well for you? Because often it's, it's not just the foods that you expect. It's some very yeah. weird out in left field ones. Well, you know, it was interesting. For me, eggs were always my go-to food, and I'm like such an egg fan. And it's funny because that's when people are always like, I don't, I don't agree with her on the eggs. I go, I didn't agree with me on the eggs. Yeah. 
You know, why don't you read the book before you disagree? Mm -hmm. Because if you look at eggs, you know, I was always like, this is a great food. It's paleo. It's healthy. But we've really managed to screw things up, number one, because we vaccinate people and we use, you know, albumin in the vaccine. Right. Number two, it's not just that you are what you eat. It's you are what you eat, ate. And oh, my gosh, what they're doing to those chickens. So that means those eggies are not so good. Now, if you're eating pastured eggs, a whole different thing. And then number three, eggs are like such an easy thing that you kind of get into this rut of like eggs every day. Yeah. And I just read that. Someone just wrote a review. I've got to stop reading these because they make me insane. But someone was writing, <laughs> you know, I agree with everything but the eggs. And, you know, because eggs are just my go-to food. I eat them every single day. I'm like, yes, exactly. <laughs> That's the problem. Right. So, you know, the thing that got me to stop eggs at first was I took a food sensitivity test and I was a plus five to eggs. And I'm like, damn. You know, and I pulled them out. Now I can eat them again, but I still remember the first time I retried eggs. I challenged eggs and I didn't mean to challenge eggs. I was in Las Vegas and I was at a, I was at China Grill and we were ordering sushi and someone ordered some sushi with some little sauce and I had a bite. I mean, I, I, if I had like, I don't know, a quarter of a teaspoon of this sauce, it would have been incredible. I had hardly any. And I felt like Sigourney Weaver in Alien. I mean, it was like, my stomach, it was like, you know, it was incredible. Really? And in pain for hours. And I had to speak the next morning. I kept thinking, I'm going to have to go to the hospital. Yeah. Right? You know? Wow. So that's that's why I tell people, I go, listen, after three weeks, people normally don't want to go back on the food. Yeah. That's the biggest challenge I have with the program is not getting them to start. Once they make that decision that, hey, you can do anything for three weeks, come on. Yes. And they do it. They're like, you know, I feel so good now. I just don't want to eat those things again. And I go, you know, you don't need to eat these things again. No one, I am sorry. I know that the registered dietitians are kicking my butt out there, but you don't need gluten. There's nothing you're going to become deficient in if you don't eat gluten. You know, I keep getting these Twitter posts. Yeah. (laughs) If you don't tell people to stop eating gluten, they're going to be deficient. In what? And that's how I go, in what? Just name it. Name what they're deficient in. Right. But, you know, or corn or soy. But, um, I want you to know how you feel when you eat these things so that you're not, you don't go end up like I did in Las Vegas. So you know, hey, if this sneaks in here and there, I'm cool. Or if it sneaks in, I'm devastated. You yes. got to know. That's why I have people rechallenge it. I believe that um, we are better off without gluten. Mm-hmm. I think, I think a lot of things would be fixed very quickly if we dumped gluten and dairy out of people's diets and yeah. soy. Like if I had to pick the an artificial sweeteners, I was like, if I had to pick the top ones, I'm going to keep going, yeah. you know, and I just don't even understand corn. Corn's like silly. Yeah. Why is there popcorn when we use corn to fatten up cows and pigs? Right. Like, and it's supposed to be a slimming food, right? Yeah. Skinny pop. Come on. <laughs> it's just silly. It's, it's, it's insane. So come on, stop it. Besides who eats one cup of popcorn? Yeah. Ever. And- so corn specifically, because it's in so many things, is that something that you actually recommend that people avoid or just eat less of uh, in order to lose weight or, or maintain a healthy weight? So for first three weeks, I have people pull out corn, dairy, soy, gluten, eggs, peanuts, sugar, artificial sweeteners. And you might say that's eight, but I put sugar and artificial sweeteners yeah. together. Long term, artificial sweeteners just don't make any sense whatsoever. They yeah. don't work. So they're toxic. They cause calorie dysregulation. They're just problematic. Sweeteners, there's a couple I like. I tell people five grams of added sugar or less. 
really watch the fruit. Fruit is not some free food. The food guide pyramid telling you to eat five servings of fruits and vegetables a day is stupid because yeah. people have five bananas. I yeah. mean, it's a lot of you bananas. know, that's just dumb. Well, and also they don't distinguish between a potato and a Brussels sprout. And yeah. I don't know. I think there's a little bit of a difference there, you know, difference, yeah. <laughs> just a tad. So, but in terms of corn, corn's high glycemic, it's, it's pro-inflammatory besides being in everything. And it's, it's right there with soy being one of the most genetically modified foods out there. I just mm -hmm. don't see why we would touch it. Yeah. So in terms of like, do we have to watch it hundred percent? I have people pull all those things out hundred percent for the first three weeks with the exception of sugar, because you're eating food and all food, unless you're going to go have whale blubber, is going to have some sugar in it. That's why my next book is on sugar because, oh my gosh, the hysteria of the yeah. sugar issues. Right. Jeez, who knew? But after that point, I have people rechallenge eggs, dairy, gluten, soy. Those are what I call the most high fire, high food intolerant foods. As far as corn and peanuts go, you know, just keep them out. If they sneak in here and there, you're at a Chinese restaurant and they use some peanut oil, or you went to a barbecue and they have some organic corn on the grill, it's not going to take you down. Yeah. But don't go thinking. I'm really trying to help you disrupt your eating mm -hmm. and pay attention because if you look at corn, it's mainly in processed foods. Yeah. And people go, well, there's nothing to eat. I go, yeah, there's no processed foods to eat. Right. Right. You know? <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're right. There's no, pro stop it. Just put yeah. those down. Right. But long term, it's really knowing how gluten, dairy, eggs, and soy should fit in your diet. Most people, once they get through the gut healing process, they can go back to eating pastured eggs, which are an entirely different egg than the caca eggs out there at the right. grocery store. Right? Caca. <laughs> caca. steal that from you. <laughs> it's a scientific term. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when you, uh, I, I recently, a few months ago, got the, the LEAP MRT test, which is IgE, IgG, uh, uh -huh. and, and a bunch of other allergy tests at the same time. And, and what came back was very interesting to me because uh, there were certain things that I was taking for my health like olive oil, bee pollen, uh -huh. uh, grapefruit a few times a week that I'm highly reactive to, it turns out. So, <laughs> oops. <laughs> oops, yeah, right. And it was, it was interesting because a lot of those at the top were the ones that I was taking, not just as a part of my diet, but actively taking for my health that were, you know, jacking me up. Uh, mm -hmm. What sort of testing do you recommend at the beginning and, and what should you look out for when you're first getting started with this whole concept of food intolerance? Well, understand that anything that you're eating a lot of that you then show reactivity, if you show a lot of reactions, it's actually got more to do with your gut wall integrity than anything else. And you'll tend to react to the things you're eating the most often. So that's more, not so much those foods specifically, but what's going on with your gut. Yeah. And what have you done to get your gut to be leaking? How do we restore the integrity of your gut and your gut microbiome, which ultimately is the biggest indicator of your overall health. To me, the most exciting area of health now is your gut microbiota, the, the bugs and guck in your gut. And you have should have more good guck than bad guck. Right. Because if you have too much bad guck, bad bugs, candida, you can actually extract more calories from the food you eat, store it as fat. It's amazing. I had a client that had that problem, mm -hmm. Suzanne Summer's stepdaughter, and she could not lose weight. She could not lose weight until we killed off all those bugs and then she dropped 40 pounds and has kept it off. Wow. So I don't, I really wanted, here, here's my goal. My goal is to help a million people. And to do that, I had to make this very mainstream so that the person 
who doesn't have access to this type of testing doesn't think they can afford it because mm-hmm. to me the whole money thing's a total mindset. But they, I wanted them to be able to get started right away. The reason that I chose these seven foods was years of testing, mm-hmm. years of assessment. These are the most common ones. Now, at the end of three weeks, if you still got stuff going on, maybe we need to look at toxicity. You know, if people are hypersensitive, generally they've got toxicity issues. They're poor detoxifiers. They've got leaky gut issues. They've got small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, candida. They've got weird outlier sensitivities. But, you know, I was looking at how do I help the majority of people? And right away for the cost of a book, Mm -hmm. right? Because it doesn't cost you any more to eat this way. In fact, it probably costs you less because you're not buying all this processed crap. Right. And that was really my goal. My goal was not to put a barrier to entry in here to say, okay, now you got a testing. You know, because then they won't do it. They can't do it. And then it's really about getting the nose, the camel, and the tent. When they start to connect the dots between, wow, what I eat impacts how I feel and what I weigh. Yeah. Then they'll go deeper with it. Then they'll realize that food is your most powerful medicine. And maybe I need to look further. Maybe I need to look at my fatty acid profile to see if I don't have enough omega-3s or I'm omega-3 dominant. Because I see just as many people with too many omega-3s is not enough. Maybe I need to see if I've got any outlier food sensitivities. Maybe I need to look at my gut microbiota and see what my bacterial uh, flora looks like. Is there too much the good, too much the bad? Because, you know, not too much the good, but too much the bad. So maybe I need to look at my digestive enzymes. Am I digesting my fat? So again, I didn't want to have to put that in there as a starting point. And it was funny because I was actually, I I talk generally at medical conferences and I'm sort of like the sacrificial lamb (laughs) because I go in there and I'm not an MD. And to me, I always feel like that's my benefit. I can get away with more, right? Sure. (laughs) <laughs> and so, and I like to just go up and tell stories and have fun and be funny because yeah. most of the things at these medical conferences, you could cry. They're so boring. Yeah. They read their PowerPoints. They read studies. And it's like, who cares? This isn't <laughs> going to translate into your office. Yeah. How about if we figure out, let's throw some studies in so I can prove to you, but let's do something that will really work that you can do something with on Monday. So I'm going through this whole program and I'm showing case studies of how we've reversed fatty liver and drop blood pressure, all this crazy stuff in really short periods of time. And this chick comes right. And I, you always know, because there's always one who's waiting, who decided before you even walked up there that yeah. they were going to get you, yeah. right? Especially being a female and not an MD. They're like, I'm getting her. She's mine. <laughs> and so this woman comes running up to the mic. And she goes, I'm an endocrinologist. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Boof, right? Yeah. And I'm like, all right, bring it on. And she started, well, what kind of testing do you do before you start the program? Because you're telling people that they shouldn't be snacking all day long. And what if they're hypoglycemic? And what if they're, what if they're, I go, well, you know, I had an hour to do this talk. Yeah. And in the book, I describe in detail what to do if you're hypoglycemic. I said, but the whole point of this is that people, a lot of, most people will never come to your office. Yeah. They'll never come to see you. They'll never do the testing. Those are the people I want to reach. And yeah. maybe when they do this book, they'll then go, wow, I can be better. And mm-hmm. they'll come and see you. Yeah. And go, but if I put that barrier to entry up, we never get started. That's a really good So point. instead of that, what if I threw something so hooky out there <laughs> that people go, oh my gosh, I could drop seven pounds in just seven days just by cutting out these seven foods. I can do that. What is that? You know, yeah. so you got them in the game because ultimately I want to help the world. I want to transform health and healthcare around the world. Now, if you said to people, Hey, I want to help you get healthy. They're like, 
oh, okay, snore, right? Yeah. But if you said, I've listen. I've tried that. It doesn't work. <laughs> no, they, people don't buy health. I mean, whenever I yeah. announce it as a medical conference, you can hear pin drops and people are glaring at me and I go, it's true. You just named your center the wellness center or the optimal health center, but people don't buy that. They buy getting younger, losing weight and having better sex. Yeah. And if you could throw in more money in there too, they're all in. I go, but the rest of this stuff, they're not, they don't even know what optimal health is. They, they don't know. They don't know what it means or yeah. wellness. What's wellness? I don't know. They don't buy it. So yeah. stop it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so interesting. So uh, if, you, if you do start your program, what does it look like in the first few weeks as your body is self-correcting? So the first thing I have people do is I have them take a little assessment to find out how intolerant they are. And it's really looking at symptoms that, again, we always thought were normal, that all of a sudden you're going, oh, these could be symptoms of food intolerance. So the first thing we do is get that benchmark because, you know, you got to know your starting point. And what you measure, you can improve. And what I find with people is that if you don't do that, at the end of three weeks, they feel so much better, but they don't remember that they felt crappy, so therefore they don't realize they're any better, which Mm -hmm. makes me crazy. I have them weigh every day for the first week and then once a week after that. The first couple days, and I set them up for this, I tell them, you're going to feel crappy. And that's awesome. (laughs) It's great. Because the worse you feel, the better the results will be. Because that just shows you your body really is craving these foods. That means they're hurting you. It's fabulous. Mm -hmm. So... You know, you got, I'm a mom, so I'm used to setting, you know, kids bleeding. That's fine. You're good, safe, you know? Right. So it's, it's all about setting expectations. The other thing is, and this is so important, I tell people to pull these seven foods out or food groups. Gluten's not a food, it's a food group. But more importantly, I tell people which foods they can swap in instead. And so often I find people actually like the swaps better. You know, we get so used to eating a certain thing. Mm-hmm. That it just becomes what we do. We're all creatures of habit. So I think the biggest success here is to say, hey, you know, it's not about pulling these seven foods out. It's about putting these other things in their place. Right. And making it so simple and so black and white. To me, what's difficult in anything is a learning curve and having to figure stuff out. Like, is how many points is this worth? Which yeah. category does this fall into? How much of this can I have? Oh, I can have a little bit of this? Well, if you tell someone who's eating something that's not working for them, they can have a little bit. The little bit creates a big problem. Yeah, Moderation doesn't work with food intolerance. And moderation creates a total slippery slope. If you tell someone, hey, you know, you can have a little cookie every afternoon, they're going to have a really big little cookie yeah. every afternoon, right? right. And it's going to keep those cravings going. So what happens is the first couple of days, generally people feel a little crappy. If they've been eating a load of sugar, they might start to feel their energy drop. That's why my next book is just on sugar. And the first week will be a kind of detox week. And then they'll start to feel those symptoms. They tend to get a little worse before they get better because those foods, they're craving the antibodies are like, feed me, feed me. At the end of the first week, though, generally the average person does lose about seven pounds. I've had people lose 12. I've had people lose two. But the average is about seven because they're getting rid of inflammation quickly. And then they start to notice this huge shift in their skin, in their energy, in their joint pain. And what I like to say is that people come because they want to lose weight, Mm -hmm. but they stay because of how much better they feel. In my PBS show, I actually didn't, we talk about weight, but they told me on PBS people don't buy weight loss, which turns out they were wrong, (laughs) but uh, they really buy feeling better. So we said drop seven foods, feel better fast, joint pain, memory, skin, energy. And so by the end of the first week, people are like, 
I had no idea I could feel this way. It starts to become your new normal. At the end of three weeks, we have you redo a symptoms test. Now, the biggest challenge I have, again, with the program is at the end of three weeks, and you don't have to do this. Like in the new, we're writing the cookbook right now, and they said, listen, you know, you can stay on the first cycle till you're pretty much where you want to be because some neurological things may take a lot longer to heal. I go, but at some point I want you to re-challenge just so you connect the dots, just so you know how vigilant you need to be. Like, can the gluten sneak in here and there or do, or when it happens, do I just like go down? Right. You need to know this. Mm-hmm. It's not so that it becomes a mainstay of your diet. I wanted to break that cycle. And, but you know, if I told you drop seven foods forever, no one would ever buy that book. Right. Never. You know, <laughs> are you kidding? Like give up gluten and dairy forever. You know, I say, it's just. <laughs> Come on, you can let your cheese go for three weeks. Yeah. You can do that, right? right? And, and then three more weeks and three more weeks and three years and 30 years. <laughs> yeah, and it's so interesting. And, and then all of a sudden, you're the type of person who doesn't eat donuts anymore. Right. You don't have to and you don't want them. Like when I see stuff like that, it doesn't uh, no. have that Pavlov's dog effect of making me salivate and then pumping out a little bit of insulin to make me hungry. Like it just doesn't happen. I'm like, that's not food. I'm no. going to go eat a delicious whatever later, you know, that I have waiting yeah. for me at home. So yeah, it's an interesting psychological effect over time as that becomes part of your habit, part right. of your identity. And then it's easy because you're not giving anything up anymore. Well, and the identity is so critical. You know what I love about this is that people become ambassadors for it because yeah. they start to change so quickly that people want to know what they're doing. You know, it's the Harry and Sally, I'll have what she's having. Yeah. And so all of a sudden now people are watching them and this is their identity. So they're not going to go off of it. And you know, it's that whole phenomenon. People tell me, what is the number one thing that you would recommend for someone to stay healthy and fit for the long haul? Mm-hmm. And I say the number one thing is to have healthy, fit friends. Yeah. That's I, your number one thing. That. Get Find friends not only who are healthy and fit, but find them that are healthier and fitter than you. Yeah. Because they're not out staying out till three in the morning doing tequila shots and, and eating chili fries. <laughs> Pretty sure, right? <laughs> occasionally <laughs> occasionally and then they're down for like a week <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah it's so true actually my um it was my girlfriend Allison. and she just had a birthday this past weekend and uh someone got tacos at like 2 a.m or something like that and she's like oh i'll just have a few or, or excuse me nachos and uh she had a few nachos and she was out she actually didn't drink that much on her birthday but she did have those nachos at the end of the night and she was just feeling awful she could not believe how awful she felt she's just like oh bt corn <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, it just destroyed her for the next day yeah. and it's uh it's shocking how powerfully terrible these foods can be even yeah. in such small doses when your body no longer needs or craves or is used to them yeah it's i think the scariest thing going now is the whole genetic modification and that's Really, the reason we have food intolerance is yeah. the, the biggest what, one of the things my program does, but again, I want to make this very consumer friendly, not heavy, not scary, is it pulls GMOs out. Yeah. And boy, GMOs are frightening, frightening. They're not food, you know? It's like, <laughs> so uh, I it's totally incredible. agree with that. Actually, I was, I was just talking to my dad yesterday about this. Uh, they're they're trying to pass a few bills. All 
everywhere, really, in, in America, someone's trying to pass these bills where you have the right to know if there are GMOs in your food or not. Yeah, I mean, isn't that bizarre that this could ever even be a question? Right. And one of the main arguments, this is someone who, I'm not going to say the person's name, but this is a, a candidate or a political person who he's supported for quite some time now, many, many years, decades. I grew up hearing her name. And she is vocally against labeling because she thinks it will confuse the consumer. And that's one of their main arguments is that it'll confuse people if we tell them that GMOs <laughs> are in their food. And it's like, how can anyone ever accept that? That's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> wow. I was shocked. It's, it's insulting, actually. I, it's I think insulting. It is. It's like, it's like the stupid little consumers who just yeah. are too too stupid to understand what that means. Right. What we did out in California was because you would have thought if anywhere this would pass, it'd be yeah. Colorado or California. Those right. would be like two places you'd expect. Well, what they did in California was they created this huge thing with the food industry where the food industry said, if we have to label everything, it'll get so expensive, you won't be able to afford it. I'm like what, we won't be able to afford the tortilla chips? <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> oh, darn. <laughs> yeah, tortilla chips and popcorn. That's a, They have some pretty healthy margins going on. And I'm pretty sure putting a stamp on a label isn't going to crush yeah. those. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Oh, gosh. So one other thing I'd, I'd really love for you to, to cover is your approach to training. Especially, I have a lot of women who listen to the show who are mm -hmm. not necessarily fans of burst-type training. Uh, oh, why not? They're, yeah, so can you talk trainers? about that? Can you rant about that for a little bit? Can I bit? rant on that? <laughs> I never rant. Um, you know, it's funny because I have been in this I – I, I actually got into this whole area when I was a kid. I mean, I started teaching calisthenics mm -hmm. in high school. I was on the track team. I worked out with weights with the football team. Cool. I have always been, I grew up in Berkeley. I've always been into nutrition and health. And I've done everything you can, I've been on every diet known to man, vegan, macrobiotic, I call it macropsychotic, vegetarian, <laughs> you know, you name it, I've done it. And I was a massive endurance trainer. And it's yeah. funny, when I was a vegan endurance athlete, I was 10% body fat higher in my 20s. Wow. Yeah, with cystic acne. Really? And very, and very crabby, I might Jeez. add. Yeah. Not a happy girl. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's funny at 50 to have 10% less body fat, work out a quarter of what I used to work out, have so much more muscle mass and feel so much better. Our bodies, endurance training, I can't think of a worse thing for a woman to do than endurance training. And it's funny because when you look at why are women doing it, most of them are doing it to lose weight. But actually, mm -hmm. it makes you better at storing fat. It burns up your muscle, which we don't have a lot of to hold on to in the first place. It destroys your adrenals, yeah. lowers your testosterone. I mean, if I could name and makes you age faster and dumps your immune system. If I could name one thing and say, hey, you want to screw yourself up? Go train for marathons. In fact, when I was doing, I was on Dr. Phil for two years when he did his whole weight loss thing. And the people we had, we had two people lose the challenge. Yeah. And they were the two gals. I told them not to do it. Yeah. And one was, a, actually, they were both vegetarians too. Vegetarians, and they did the LA Marathon. I go, don't do that. That is going to get in the way of you losing weight. Yeah. You've got to do burst style training. If you look at everything is information. Food's information. Exercise is information. Everything ultimately is about your hormone response. So we're eating to maximize hormone response. We're exercising to improve growth hormone. 
testosterone to have minimal impact on our stress hormones. In fact, what we want to teach our stress hormones is how to handle stress and recover faster. We don't want to impact our immune system. We want our immune system to get stronger, and we certainly don't want to age faster. And so when you look at birth-style training, the great thing is the number one reason people don't exercise is they say they don't have time. And if you don't have time for birth training, then you need to make time because there's just brief amounts of time. You know, but it's all out and recover and all out and recover and all out recover. What it does is it teaches your body how to handle stress better. The, the big pushes raise lactic acid, keep that lactic acid continuing to climb up so it triggers a response of growth hormone. So you're helping raise growth hormone and testosterone. And also, it's very clear that the fuel substrate you use during exercise is the one you store after. Mm -hmm. So if you're using more sugar during exercise, you restore sugar into your muscles for more energy after. But if you use more fat during exercise, you're better, become better at storing fat. So if you want to burn more fat, you need to burn more sugar during exercise. Then you'll burn more fat all day long. And the biggest thing that women need to do is create what I like to call your metabolic spanx, i.e. put on muscle. It holds everything in tighter, right? Yeah. And boosts your metabolism and helps you become more insulin sensitive. The first place we restore insulin sensitivity, which if insulin's more sensitive, it's not going to come up as much. If your insulin's high because you're eating those stupid 100-calorie snack packs all day long <laughs> and doing loads of endurance training that's breaking down muscle, dumping into your bloodstream, raising sugar and raising insulin, you've locked the doors to your fat cells. You cannot burn fat. You're going to become a toffee. You're going to be a thin outside, fat inside person. And that's what yeah. you see with people who do a lot of endurance training. They're the, these, these squishy people. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to look better naked ultimately, I think. Right? Most people do. I think that's a fair you know? statement. Sure. <laughs> I was so upset when someone else wrote that book. I'm like, I, that's my book to write. <laughs> with the last name, look better naked. But you know, ultimately, you don't want to pull off your Spanx and have everything flow out of there, right? Yeah. You want to not have to wear those Spanx. So that's what muscle's all about. You don't build muscle doing endurance training. Yeah. Besides, you know, you're going to look like a haggard, old, squishy witch. <laughs> all right? Was that a good JJ, rant? I am in awe right now. <laughs> These past three minutes of you ranting about this has been some of my favorite on the show in, in months, I swear. Like, maybe best ever. That's terrific if any <laughs> if any woman <laughs> comes to me and says like there's no way i'm gonna try this i'm gonna point them to that three minute clip <laughs> because <laughs> it is it is so true everything you said is supported by science and it's it's yes. also like anecdotally makes sense with some pretty powerful imagery of you know taking off your spanks and everything flowing out that's not a wonderful image in anyone's mind <laughs> so yeah it's it's very compelling stuff so we're, we're just about out of time jj but why don't before we go you talk about what you're working on now and where folks can find you. Ooh, I am finishing my cookbook right now for the Virgin Diet Cookbook. Yay. Um, <laughs> and then we start the Sugar Virgin. All right. So, yes, all about sugar. I'm going to do a little launch of the pilot program for that this fall, which I'm excited about too. So awesome. if you're on my list, you'll find out about and get to participate. So thevirgindiet.com, we actually have training videos, free training videos on the program so you can and the, and the quiz so you can get started immediately. And then I also have my free four-by-four workout. So I hate excuses. In fact, one year when I was a personal trainer, I made all my clients for Christmas this no excuses t-shirt, you know, the red, the big red circle with the thing and the yeah. air excuses. 
so what I did was I divided the body into four parts, upper body pushing, upper body pulling, hips and thighs and power core. And I created a 15 minute, I say it's 15 minutes fast, it's fun and you're done in 15 minutes or less. And it's all your resistance and, and burst training and some flexibility in 15 minutes and it's free. Awesome. So there are, go all the excuses out the window and you can get those and do them at jjsfitclub.com. So those are two cool things that are freebies because I always like to remove any barrier to entry yeah. or we could call that an excuse. <laughs> yeah. No excuses. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, JJ, thank you so much for coming on. This was an absolute blast. I would love to have you on again soon. My pleasure. I knew we would have fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll have to do it again soon. Thanks again. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Fat Burning Man Show. If you'd like free fat burning tips, muscle building goodies, as well as a free ebook and video course, head on over to fatburningman.com and enter your best email, and I'll shoot those right over to you. If you'd like to follow me on Facebook, I'm at facebook.com forward slash fatburningman. And on Twitter, my handle is fatburnman. Got some killer shows on the way, but in the meantime, be well, and I'll be talking to you guys soon. Cheers. Cheers.